One thing you got to realize, and I, I thought it strange up until now that I started teaching on the culture of the kingdom, and I have not really established the principles of the kingdom. Have not been led to do that yet, but I probably will. But just for some scriptural reference, and tonight, make sure you write these references down on, on, on this night, write the date. Uh, but Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So you are in the kingdom now. Amen. And you can run reference. There's many scriptures. First Thessalonians 2.12 says he has called you into his kingdom and his glory. The Bible says you, your citizenship is not of this world, but it's of heaven. So you live in this country, but you have a citizenship of another country. And that country is heaven. Does that make sense to you? So we are to already, the world is waiting, the church is waiting to go to heaven, when in reality, we ought to be releasing heaven on earth. Amen? You're wanting to get to heaven where God is, and God's wanting to get to earth where you is. Amen? <laughs> That's what, <laughs> thank you, sister. That's what you've got to get a hold to, that his kingdom is established now. And I'm here to declare to you that I have been promised of the Lord. When his, the culture of that kingdom is established on earth, the king is going to come in. Amen? So that is the goal, okay? So the theme of our teaching has been the culture of the kingdom. And a culture is a what? All right, students. A culture is a way of thinking, acting, are working. Amen. The culture of a, the culture is a way of behaving. So the ultimate goal of this teaching from the beginning, which was two or three weeks ago, is to see and to understand God's way of thinking, behaving, working. Amen. So the whole goal is to hold the light of God's word up See how God thinks, see how he behaves, see how he acts. Bring that culture into this world. Is that not the Lord's prayer? Somebody recite it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's enough, thank you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as? The prayer that Jesus told you to pray was the very altitude, attitude, atmosphere of heaven be manifested upon earth. Are y'all following me? That is why we're teaching this. If you're going to understand how to live by another governmental constitution, you must know the constitution. Amen? So everything we do here in this church should be a direct reflection of the culture of heaven. Are y'all ready to go there? Are you ready to lay aside your denominational uh, 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 mindsets, your own cultures, preconceived ideas and embrace the culture of heaven. Well, I want to promise you, it's bending me and it's stretching me. And tonight I'm going to teach you some stuff that I don't know if I've ever seen it on the light that I've seen it tonight. So anyway, everything we do in this church must become a direct result or a direct reflection of the culture of heaven. Then the Lord's prayer has been answered. His kingdom has come and his will is, be done, is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So our goal is to take the Bible, like I said, hold the culture of heaven up, and then allow the Holy Spirit to transform us 
into that culture. Write down Romans 12 and 2. One of my favorite scriptures. John, you can quote that scripture by heart. Be not conformed to this world, but be you by the renewing of your mind. So it's got to be brought to light to me. I've got to be enlightened in the culture of the kingdom if I'm going to behave according to the culture of kingdom, okay? All right, last week, I'm going to go back backwards just a little bit and then we're going to, we're really going to move tonight. Last week, we dealt with balance. Remember that? Remember the visual illustration I showed you last week of how that even a good thing can become a bad thing when there is no balance. I had, a, I had a plate up here with eggs in it and I put a little salt on it and they tasted so good. And I said, well, if a little salt is good and I poured the box on it, those eggs that were good could not be eaten because of a good thing. Are y'all following me? Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. That's why God said there has to be balance in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I can't go back. Let's go forward, okay? And our scripture last week was John 4, what was it, 23, 24? Yeah. Amen. Uh, can somebody quote that scripture to me? Amen. Uh, for the hour is come and now is. John 4, 23. Amen. When the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth, for God is looking for those kind of worshipers. For God is a spirit, verse 24, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There has to be a balance between spirit and truth. Truth with no spirit produces cold, dead religion. Truth with no spirit produces a whole bunch of knowledge with no experience and it produces pride. And many church members sitting on the pews with a whole bunch of knowledge but with no spirit to go with the knowledge and church people will use truth to kill their brother. Are y'all okay? We're going to bring balance to the body of Christ. Well, it's the truth. It's the truth. We're like the uh, Pharisees that caught the woman in adultery. They brought her and throwed her at the feet of Jesus with stones in hand and says, the law says that she is to be stoned. Somebody say that's the truth. They had the truth of the word behind them, but they didn't have the spirit of that truth behind them. Are you following me? And they said she is to be stoned. And of course, Jesus knelt down, rode in the sand, stood up and said, okay, you without sin, you throw the first one. Well, the Bible says they dropped their stones. They walked away. Jesus said, woman, where are thine accusers? She said, Lord, I have none. He said these words, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and you see the balance between truth, she shouldn't be committing adultery. You see the balance of you should not be sinning. Amen. He said, I don't condemn you, but go your way and don't sin anymore. And I guarantee you, the balance of Christ touched that woman's life, changed her life. We got to get balanced back to the body of Christ. Amen. But the same goes with the spirit. The spirit with no produce uh, or uh, the spirit with no truth produces an unhealthy fanaticism. And it leaves room for error. Amen. It leaves room forever. So we're trying to find that balance. Amen. And, and, and imbalance, we talked last week, and imbalance in the body of Christ always leads to disease. 
If you're here for the first time tonight, write D-I-S slash E-A-S-E. Dis-ease. Imbalance in the body of Christ causes dis-ease, disease. It's a chemical imbalance in the body of Christ and we can't function properly, okay? And last week, we dealt with the cultural balance of the church. Uh, we dealt with the cultural balance of church discipline, right? All right, I'm just catching us up to date. We're going to go forward. So right now, we're dealing with a balance of church discipline and church behavior. Somebody say behavior. behavior. Amen. I mean, love is a good thing, right? But love out of balance equals compromise. You need to get that in the church and you need to get that in your family. Amen. Love with no balance condones unhealthy behavior, which leads to an unhealthy church. Y'all better get a hold of this. Oh, ain't we just supposed to love them? Ain't we supposed to love them no matter what? No matter what they look like? No other. That sounds so right. Amen. But that without balance condones sin and leaves people in bondage and that is not the love of God. Love will confront. Can you say amen? That's what makes you confront your children. That's what makes you bring balance into your home. It's because you love them too much to allow them to hurt themselves with unhealthy behavior. Does that make sense to y'all? So even love, as good as it is, if it's out of balance, it produces an unhealthy church. And the Bible clearly establishes the desired behavior of a kingdom culture, and it gives us clear instruction on how to enforce it. All right? Write these scriptures down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4. It says this. Don't worry about turning there. Just write them down. You can go back to read them. It talks about this is the will of God. Y'all listen to this scripture. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. This is the will of God for you, that every one of you should know how to possess your vessel. And I thought it was just amazing at the verbiage there. The word possess, if you're taking notes, means to acquire by any means. To possess literally means to dispossess. So Paul said, this is the will of God, is that you learn how to take your body back. That you learn how to take your attitude back. Are you okay? Oh, I'm, that's just the way I am, Pastor. I'll just give them a piece of my mind. Hup, hup, honey, sugar. The Bible says that the will of God is for you to learn how to take back what the devil has taken away from you. Whew, that'll, I'll preach that Sunday. What do y'all think? Amen. So we're going to teach you how to possess. Another thing that word tells me is that it does not come natural or easy. For me to be conformed away from a culture where I let my flesh do what it wants to, to conforming to the culture of Christ. This is the will of God for you, that you learn how to possess your vessel in what? Sanctification and honor. Wow. Sanctification means pure. It means holiness. It means set apart. It means proper. So this is the will of God for you learn how to possess your, bo your body in consecration to God, sanctification to God, amen, holiness to God. And not only that, this is the will of God for your life, for you to possess your vessel in honor. What a word. 
I, I, I looked up that definition. And honor is inestimable value or quality or character. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Inestimable. I can't hardly say that word. I hope I'm saying it right. Inestimable. In other words, you are to learn to possess your, your uh, vessel, your body, at a level that you can't even put a value, to, a value to it. Why? Because it's the life of Christ that you are learning to live. Are you following me? It literally means to you possess a superiority, a high moral, and you have high moral standards of behavior. I'm talking about this is normal activity for the church. Why is there so much junk in the church? Why is there as much immorality in the church as there is in the world? Because we have not learned this is the will of God. Oh, Pastor, I just want to know what the will of God is. Well, I got a scripture for you. I know the will of God for your life is that you learn how to bring your vessel to walk at a superior level of integrity and honor. Amen. Now, that's rich stuff right there. Amen? A high level of honor, okay? Paul said... Turn in your Bibles now to 1 Timothy. First Timothy, chapter number 3. And if you can't get it before I stop, start reading, just stop looking and listen to the Scripture. That way you'll... You can always write it down. 1 Timothy, chapter number 3, verse number 14. Y'all ready? These things I write unto you, Paul said, I'm writing to you, I'm hoping to come to you, but these things I write unto you, hoping to come to you shortly. But if I tarry long, I'm writing, he's saying, that you may know how to what? <laughs> I like that. That you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground, uh, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul said, I'm writing you so you'll know how to act in church. I, I need you to know how you're supposed to behave because you call yourself a Christian. Amen? So, and what I want you to see is in this particular letter to Timothy, in this particular letter, Paul is dealing with the required behavior of the governing body of the church. Now, Lanty, I'm going to let you off the hook for one week. I'll get you next week. Amen? But when he's talking to Peter, I mean, when he's talking to Timothy, he said, now, I'm writing you so y'all know how to behave yourself. Now, we're going to present this, and you that know your elders are going to begin to know the level that the elders are supposed to live at. Because tonight, I want to show you that governing body that Paul was writing to as established in the New Testament church. Are you ready? Amen. So tonight we're going to start with elders and deacons. Put that at the top of your, your notes. And if you want to, put behavior. <laughs> the behavior of elders and deacons. Now, what are elders and deacons? Uh, I'm going to use this word. It's not a bad word, but when I hear it, sometimes, you know, it just put a bad taste in my mouth. But what we're dealing with is the hierarchy of the church. Okay? And the definition of hierarchy is a group that govern, governs an organization 
that's divided in different levels. And that's what you have in a church. You have a governing body that governs the church and it's divided in different levels, okay? Now, let's start off with elders. Do, do y'all feel like y'all know what elders are before we get started? Do you really feel like you know what elders are and what their role is? Or have you ever even thought about who are they? What are they? What are they supposed to be doing? First thing I need you to understand that elders were really established in the Old Testament. Way back in the Old Testament. And elders comes from the word uh, press. It's where we get our word presbytery. And presbytery simply means to lead or to have dominion over or to rule over. And in the Old Testament, a, an elder was a head or a ruler of a tribe, a city, or a nation. Elders were spiritual leaders. Write that down. It's going to be important. Elders are spiritual leaders. They are appointed to lead. But listen to this. Uh, not only are they appointed to lead, according to Numbers 11, 16, 17, write that down. You can go to it in your study time. Numbers, chapter number 11, verses 16 and 17. Elders bear the burden of the people. Elders, listen to me close right now. You elders that have been put in position, you've been put in a position as a spiritual leader, but it's not to dominate it's not to overrun. It's not to rule. It is to literally be the servant of the body. To bear the burdens of the people. To be spiritual enough to understand the burden. To hear the burden. Take that burden to the Lord. Go to God on the behalf of it. So I want you to see rulership from a whole new perspective. That it ain't about dominion. In the kingdom, the higher you go as a leader the greater the servant you become. Amen? You look at me as pastor every Sunday morning, but really, yeah, I'm pastor. We're going to establish that. But really, I'm the waiter boy who's waiting the tables of the Lord. And I'm coming to you with cloth over arm. And I'm filling your tea glass and making sure you get your steak right. Are you listening to me? I want you to look at it from that perspective uh, as we go deeper into this study. So an elder is a spiritual leader. Now I need you to note right now before we go any further, as we study in the New Testament church, the, the governmental leadership of the church, elders, pastors, bishops, and overseers are all the same people. Elders, pastors, bishops, overseers. Those titles are all interchangeable. Amen? So if you see the word bishop, you know it's talking about an elder. If you see the word elder, it's talking about bishop. And then the New Testament will throw the word overseer in there. Amen? It's talking about somebody who has superintendent. Someone who is a superintendent over a body. Amen? Are you with me? Uh, in Acts chapter number 14, we see the normal routine of establishing the church. Let's go there. Acts 14. Are y'all all right? I'm not talking too fast, Emma. <laughs> Pastors, elders, bishops, overseers, 
They are all interchangeable. Uh, and out beside interchangeable, if you wrote that, write down this scriptures, Titus 1, 5, and 7. And the reason I'm going through such uh, trouble to give you scriptures because I want everything to be founded where you can go. Because in 1 Corinthians, I mean, uh, in Titus 1, 5, it calls him an elder. In 7, it calls him a bishop. So to them, they would interchange those words. It was all about leadership. It was all about spiritual authority. Does that make sense? Make sure you write that down. Titus 1, verse 5, and then verse 7. Okay, let's see how the New Testament church was set up and where these elders come into play. Are you in Acts chapter number 14? Verse number 21. Now, these chapters really need to be read because they went into cities. They start in revival. The church is now beginning to grow. You got to understand there wasn't no such thing as a church until Acts chapter number two. Now the church is beginning to grow and they're having to establish order in their churches. Acts chapter number 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter in the kingdom of God. Look at 23. And when they had what? Ordained them what? Elders in every... Elders in every church. Not elder. It's important. I want to teach that. When they ordained elders... In every church and had prayed with fasting, they, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So in other words, we see right here, the gospel spread to Lystra and a church is born. And verse number 23 says, they ordained elders. They ordained pastors. They ordained bishops. They ordained overseers. Ever what word do you want to put it? In every church, they established leadership. Okay, are you following me? Titus 1 and 5, write that down. These are just references of where they were established. Don't turn there, just write it down. It simply says that Paul told Titus, I left you in Crete to set things in order and to ordain elders in every city. So the first thing that had to be set up in church, eldership had to be set up. What are elders? Elders are preachers. Elders are teachers. Elders are pastors. Elders are spiritual leaders of the New Testament church. Amen? Their responsibility was to shepherd the flock. Acts 20, 28. Just write it down. Acts 20, 28. Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I need to put something in here right now. Now you didn't turn there, but for the sake of time, but it says, listen close, take heed to the flock, which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. Who made you an overseer? Who called the elder? Elders are not to be voted on. You don't have the power or the authority or the dominion to call an elder into office because an elder has to be appointed by the Holy Ghost because he has to be anointed to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to feed the flock. 
Amen. Well, how are elders placed into a church? Elders are placed into a church. Now, first, I want you to notice the plurality before I get into that. The plurality of leadership. You might want to write that down. Never get involved in a church that's a one-man show. This is a safety net. It's the plurality. Doug has said, he, uh, he said, go and appoint elders in every church. Elders in every church. It's the plurality of leadership in the scriptures. Now, now, we just looked at Acts 14, Titus 1, Acts 20. Every one of them showed you the plurality of leadership. Never did it say, go and appoint an elder in the church. Are you following me? Plurality of leadership is a safety net to the body of Christ. Are you following me? Write down Proverbs 24 and 6. It says this, For by wise counsel you shall make war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Amen? It's dangerous when you got a one-man show. It's dangerous when you got a one-man leader. Single, single leadership makes us susceptible to pride, error, and tyrannical dictatorship. You can't give one man too much power. Look at the third world countries. Look at Hitler. Look at where one man had so much power and authority, they, uh, are you following me, that he could... Um, that he didn't know how to use that power and authority. So when God set up the church, he understood that. So he brought a plurality. They ought to be two, three, four, five, six, seven elders, spiritual leaders of a church. Are you following me? That have been called by the Holy Ghost, not the church. Amen? Well, how do you pick an elder then? I'm going to show you how. An elder is called by the Holy Ghost. Meaning, an elder, before he's ever called by the church, before he's ever recognized by the church, he will start walking in his calling. Yes. He will start checking on the saints. He will start counseling with the saints. He will start praying for the saints. He will start sharing a word with the saints. Are you listening to me? He will start shepherding. Why? Because he was called of God, not of man. When you get this backwards and you call men because, okay, I think, John, I think you'll make a good elder. Everybody want to vote on John? Who all thinks John ought to be elder? <laughs> His sister said, absolutely not. <laughs> huh? Well, good. You're an elder. Well, we're just giving a man a title without a calling. That's like giving me the pastor your pulpit and I'm not even called to preach. So you start seeing the gift working in the elder and then one day I'll call him up in front of the church and say, we anoint you and appoint you as an elder of this church and when I do, the whole church will say, amen. Why? Because we can't deny it. We saw him. He's ministered to us. He's touched our lives. Are y'all following me? Now this culture may be different from what we used to, but we gotta get start, start somewhere in getting it right, Amen. Uh, well, what does that make you? You're the pastor of this church. Listen to this statement. Yes, I am the pastor of this church. But technically, there's no difference in title from pastor and elder. Can I really bust your religious bubble? You know how many times the term pastor is in your Bible? One. One time. 
Do you know how many times elder is in your Bible? I don't know. A bunch. <laughs> Pull it up. You can just go on and on and on and on. And we put all the emphasis on one man in this pulpit. Let me tell you what I am. I am an elder with other elders in this church. The difference is I am the pastor of this church. The difference is, if you want to write this term down, I am the lead elder. Let's say it this way. I am the first among equals. Does that work? What do you mean, your first one? Well, every organization has to have a head. That's, that's biblical. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of the church, right? Man is the head of woman, right? There is always an order. So there has to be an order in the body of Christ. There has to be a head. There has to be a leader. But the beautiful thing about this is not a one tyrannical, not one leader who could be so susceptible and not be able to handle that much power Amen, that I am really the first among equals. Doug, you're no, I'm no higher than you are. Benny, I'm no higher than you are. Any other elder, I'm no higher than you are. It's just I'm the lead elder. And when we learn how to work in unity to one another, it's a foolish pastor who can't go to his elders and say, guys, I need your input. That church is going down. That church is going under. Amen. Stacy, you, I'm no higher than you are. I'm just the first among equals in the body of Christ. And I lead the church and you assist me in my leadership. Am I making sense? I, yes. But a pastor, like I said, or a lead elder who will not take advice is a foolish man. Matter of fact, I think I wrote a scripture down. Yeah, write down Proverbs 12 and 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkens to counsel is wise. It's a wise man to come to his elders and say, guys, I, I, I feel like God's leading us this way. We need to do this and do that. And then they start speaking up and say, well, yeah, we're with you, Pastor, but did you think about this? And have you looked at it from this perspective? And all of a sudden, wisdom starts coming in the room. Balance, thank you. And you start finding a balance and we walk out of there in agreement. And I'll even tell you this, there has been sometimes in this church, even me as the lead pastor, as the first among equals, did not come out of that room getting my way. Ain't that, am I right about it? And I've seen pastors who came out of boardrooms and did not get their way and huffed and puffed and was mad. Are y'all listening to me? Amen. Because they did not understand the wisdom of counsel. They have told me no on some things I did not understand at the time. But when it come back around, I begin to see that's wisdom. That's wisdom. So I want this church to know you are in pretty good shape when it comes to an, a, a, a group of elders that are one. Am, are are y'all following me? Am I making sense? So remember, elders are called by God. Deacons are voted on. But elders are called by God. Well, and then we, when we start seeing this thing operate, we start seeing the calling, we start seeing anointing. See, it would be backwards for you to walk up a man and tell him he was called to preach. And then he starts getting a sermon together and starts trying to preach. You know what? He's going to fall flat on his face. But when the calling is there, you can't stop the preaching. Amen? And it's the same way with eldership. We got to get it right. We got to establish the structure back into the body of Christ. All we do, the Bible says they ordained elders. 
I thought I wrote down a definition for ordain. I really wanted to give to you. Ordain, write this down, means to officially establish or set in order. To ordain an elder means to set in position. That's what we do together as a body. That's what the lead elder will do. He will recognize the calling of an elder in that individual's life. He will be watching. He'll see him rising to the top. You ever see that on a job? You ever been on a job and you start watching that guy? You watch him. For long, that guy will be the foreman. Why? Because he's going the extra mile. He's just got a leadership quality about him. I guarantee you put a leader on a job, they're going to go to the top. Sooner or later, they're going to go to the top. And you start recognizing that in the spirit. And when it is time, you recognize it as a body, there is an ordination service to where you set in order. To ordain means to set in position. It, all it means is to stand in agreement with what God has already said. And usually if it's done right, the whole body will know it. The whole body will feel the witness of the spirit. Am I getting too spiritual for y'all? I'm talking about the culture of the kingdom now. Are you following me? They will know it and they will feel it. And how do we set them in order? Well, the Bible says uh, to ordain actually means to appoint or place in authority by the laying on of hands. Write that down. I want to give you some scriptures. You appoint elders. You need to go turn that off. You appoint elders by the laying on of hands. They would be brought up to the front of the church. The church would recognize them as elders. It literally means to stretch your hands forth. That everybody in the congregation would stretch their hands out in total agreement. He's the elder. He's one that God is setting in spiritual authority over this body. That's why, write down 2 Timothy 5 and 22, if I'm reading that right. You ever heard the scripture where it says, lay hands suddenly on no man? We use that scripture laughingly, you know, about hitting somebody. But when it says, lay your hands suddenly on no man, that's talking about installing an elder. You got to be very careful. You better wait on God. You better know it's God. Don't just lay your hands on them because when you do, you've just to put them in position. And when you put an elder in position too soon, or you put one in, uh, in position because you just liked him and he was your best friend, you can count on it. You've just caused trouble for that church. Right. Talk real loud. There's no fifth chapter of oh, I must have wrote it down wrong. First Timothy. I'm sorry. Thank you. When I jot them down, you never know what may come out of it. Now, right beside that, I want you to establish that what I'm teaching you is true on the laying homes around. Write Acts 6, 6 down. Write down 1 Timothy 4, 14. 2 Timothy 1, 6. 1 Timothy 4, 14. Huh? 2 Timothy 1, 6. Patty keeps telling me I need to slow down. Please, please study this. And everything's recorded too. If you miss something, I need you to get these CDs and listen to them. Uh, but go back and study them. So pastors or elders, actually I could say 
that I have a pastoral board here and be in total order. And elders, I need you to catch these phrases because to me, it ought to pull you up to another level that I'm not just someone who sits on a pew and counts money. That I am a spiritual leader. That's what's required of me. I'm a spiritual leader in every area. And I'm going to show you in conduct, in attitude. And I must lead by example. And I must learn how to possess my vessel in sanctification and honor. That I don't disgrace the body in which I serve and the Christ in which I live for. Can you say amen? Okay. So elders are called to God. All we do is appoint them or ordain them. And all we're doing is releasing them to do what God called them to do. We're not voting on them. We can't call them no more than you could call me to preach. Right? God had to do that. Elders have the same position. And all we do is stand in agreement with what God has already done and release them to begin to govern. Okay? Now, turn with me to Acts chapter number 16. And while you're turning there, I need you to listen to me. Because I'm going to show you the jurisdiction that an elder has. The authority that an elder has in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter number 15, the churches are growing now. Churches are being born all over the country. They're still struggling with the law. Some of the churches are still saying, you got to be circumcised if you got saved. Okay, so they're still struggling coming out of an old system into a new system. They're still struggling with everything Moses wrote and Paul and them's preaching. Now it's all under grace and Jesus Christ and the blood sacrifice of the lamb. And they're trying to, so confusion got to going in the region. And they were fighting among churches saying, y'all got to start circumcising and, and you got to hold on to some of the law. Some of the same struggles we have with denominations. So a great big council was called. A great big council was called to Jerusalem. And they called the apostles and the elders. They called the spiritual leaders of churches together and I'm not going to take the time, but in Acts chapter number 14, write that down. I challenge you to go through, read the chapter, and mark every time it says elder. And I want you to see they're in a great big council, and they're making judicial decisions about the church of the entire region. And it's being done by, if you will, senators of the church. Actually, if you'll study the Greek, the word presbyter which comes from elders, comes from the word senator. So that gives you an idea of their headship and their leadership in the body of Christ. So in Acts chapter number 15, they're in a great big meeting and James is presiding over the meeting and the apostles are there and the elders of all those churches are there and they're trying to line out problems in the church. And they finally come to an agreement in Acts chapter number 16, four and five. Look at it. And, as they, and now they've come to agreement and they're left and going back to their churches. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of who? Apostles and elders were at Jerusalem. And look what happened in verse number five. And so were the churches established in the faith and what? Increased in number 
How often? Can I tell you what I'm teaching you right now may be boring and we're thinking, I don't know what, but I'm finna prove to you if we will reestablish order, there will be increase in the body of Christ. It's scriptural. I'm going to prove it to you if I get time. Amen. That because they established order, the scripture plainly says the churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. So what I'm trying to show you here is the jurisdiction of an elder. He was a representative of that church that came from all the regions and he had the power to establish decrees that were to be obeyed in the body of Christ. Okay, that's a lot of power. Now, here is the distinct difference between an elder and a deacon. Here's the difference. And I bet you right now, you can start driving right now and you can stop at every church and drive for 10 days and not find a church that's operating by this government that I'm going to show you. I don't know a one. I'm connected. And we've lost power. We don't understand where's the glory of God. Because God said, you've got to establish my culture. We're just throwing it out there, joining churches. We don't understand church government. We don't understand church leadership. And God said, I can't bless that mess. Right? So this is what we are. Okay, the difference between an elder and a deacon. Does anybody know what that is? You're about to. Deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Spell it like you want to. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> diakonos. And it means courier. Do you know what a courier is? Both of y'all was right. It means assistant. It mean, it is a servant slash minister. A deacon is a servant slash minister to the body of Christ. Get this now. We've been established order. Us elders, we're going to put our heads together. We're going to work on this. We're going to get God's kingdom established. And there's about to be increase that's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be unbelievable. Because I didn't know this stuff mattered so much until God drew me into this. Listen to me. Here's the difference between elders and deacons. Elders have a spiritual responsibility to supply the spiritual need of the body. I'm going to say that again. Elders, pastors, remember, Overseers, bishops, they have a spiritual responsibility to supply the spiritual need of the church. That's my job. And if I'm not doing my job, I need to be dismissed from my post. If I'm not feeding you bread, if you're going hungry, if you're not being filled, if you're not being satisfied, now some of y'all, you just ain't satisfied with nothing. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> then I am not fulfilling my role as pastor and the elders need to be getting together. And elders, have I not released you to rebuke me? Have I not released you to speak into my life? You need to be looking at me and say, Pastor, you're spending too much time on the golf course. I hate golf. Now we need you to get back in that because you're the lead elder. And, and the sheep are getting famished here. You understand what I'm saying? How safe would this church be if we operated like that? 
If the elders come to me and say, listen, Pastor, I know, I know sometimes you're going to have a dud, but you've been preaching duds for a month. And we can't handle no more duds. <laughs> Let's pray together. Let's get together. Are you following me? That's what I want the rest of your elders to do in my life. Amen. Stacy, I want you to have the freedom to come to me and say, Pastor, is something wrong? Are you distracted? You seem to be distracted. Because elders have a spiritual responsibility to supply the spiritual need of the church. Now, here we go. Deacons have a natural, physical responsibility to supply the natural, physical needs of the body. Wow. See the difference? That's why I can vote on a deacon, but I can't vote on an elder. And, oh God, sister, don't even get me started there. <laughs> I want to teach that. I do, theocracy and democracy. But anyway... A deacon, and I'm going to show you, we're going to get there tonight, in Acts chapter number six, where it said, choose you out from among yourselves, men full of the Holy Ghost to be deacons. In other words, okay, let's get together and let's choose, and I got the criteria. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost. They need to be faithful. They need to be decked. That's you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to put you in as a deacon. That's legal. Because the deacon is called to fulfill the physical, the natural, are you following me? Needs of the body. He looks over the property. He takes care of business. Isn't that a big difference? That's why when you put deacons into eldership, they're not called to do it. They're not anointed to do it. And they will give a pastor a fit. It don't work. And, 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 and I don't even blame the deacon no more because the leadership of that church didn't know what they were doing and they put him in a position he's not called and anointed to do. So when the pastor comes with a spiritual vision, he's not really going to get it. He's going to be looking at the money. Instead of, why? That's what he's supposed to do. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But when you don't have balance and you bring them in and mix them together, we got confusion in the body of Christ. How many visions have been aborted in boardrooms? How many dreams have been shattered in boardrooms because we didn't understand this? Matter of fact, I have learned, elders, I'm not, I don't know how to say this, we need to get to where I'm not in the business meetings no more. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to prove it to you. All of you say, wait a minute. Now remember, we're, we're getting back to the culture. Because you have spiritual letter that, that your position, my position, is to feed this flock. Not to be distracted with the everyday business of running a church. That's what deacons do. We're going to go there. Hold, wait on me. So listen to me. Here, look at it this way. As a matter of fact, according to the scriptures we're going to go to, you could say it this way. Elders could be called preaching deacons. Is that funny? No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. Elders would be called preaching elders, not deacons. I'm sorry. I mixed that up. Get that out of there. That's not the truth. 
Elders can be called preaching elders and deacons can be called business elders. Because that business elder, deacon, business elder slash deacon has to be just as spiritual, just as anointed. He's no lesser than. Are you following? My God. Go to Acts chapter number one. No, I'm sorry. Acts chapter number six. Acts six. I need y'all to write that down. Elders could be called preaching elders. Are you listening to me? Deacons could be called. And one technically really should be no spiritual than the other one, but operating in a different capacity. Authorized in a different capacity. These guys were authorized by ordination of the, the body of Christ as a preaching, teaching elder. Matter of fact, he's not supposed to be an elder if he can't preach or teach. I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Huh? Acts 6, are you there? Verse number one. In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because what? Their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So the 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it ain't right. Tell your neighbor it ain't right. It ain't right that we should leave the word of God and serve the tables. Oh, but son, we're going to show you Stephen. Thank you. Wherefore, brethren, look, here it is. Look out among you seven men. Okay, okay, we're going to do deacons now, so let's look. Let's look. I don't have to wait on a calling for this. I can look. I can look at your integrity, your honor. Amen. You pay your bills. You got a good, honest report in the community. You know what I'm saying? People see you. They don't see somebody who owes a bill somewhere, ain't never paid it. Are you, are you following me? Uh, look, look among you. Look among you. Help me, church. Help me look among me and let me find someone who qualifies to be a deacon. See, we can all get involved in that. Okay, uh, uh, verse three. Or yeah, look, look among you. Look ye out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and what? Who you may appoint over what? Somebody say business elder that you may appoint over this business. Pastors need to be released. Pastors need to be released from having to pay the bills. And it's a shame in a lot of our small churches, he has to pay the bills. He has to count the money. He has to wonder if we're going to pay this or that. He should not be doing that. He should not be changing light bulbs in church and mowing the yards. And of course, I'm a little bit different and them elders know what I like to do, amen. But nevertheless, I'm establishing the culture of the kingdom here that elders should be not distracted with the business of the church. Matter of fact, can I say this? Some pastors and elders are anointed to preach but are not anointed to take care of business. And if you let them over here, they're going to mess things up on this side. Right. That's good. Just like a deacon, a preach, uh, 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 what I call him all ago, uh, uh, a business elder will mess things up on this side. But if you'll stay over in the business and get that taken care of, I'll make sure I feed this flock. Yeah. 
And when I'm feeding the flock, you taking care of business. And man, we got balance. Oh, now look what happens when you get balance. We uh, let us appoint them over. Somebody shout business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If I can get my deacons taken care of that, I will. We will dedicate ourselves to the word, to the ministry. And that is my focus now as an elder. Let's go a little further. And look what happened in verse number seven. Wait, no, verse number six. Or where was I? Five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Philip and that guy and another guy and Timon and my God, these poor guys, y'all pray for them. And also Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, who they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they did what? There it is. They endorsed them. They endorsed them and released them. Okay, you start operating in that capacity. And oh my Lord, everybody read verse 7 with me. Everybody read it out loud. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Can you believe this? They had a business meeting that sparked revival. They got order back in the body of Christ. And as a result, it released the word of God. It released the anointing. Souls were saved. Priests who were steeped in religion were changed and transformed because they brought order back to the body of Christ. So my declaration according to the word, are y'all still with me? Deacons were established to take the load of the business of the church off the elders so they could devote their time to the spiritual needs of the church. Churches are locked right here. When the church, most small time church mentality is, he's the pastor, he's supposed to mow the yard, pay the bills, visit the hospitals. Am I right about it? And most people are sitting right out there saying, that's what we pay him to do. I have just proved to you, you pay a pastor to feed you spiritually. And I'm not teaching this stuff to get out of work because my wife says I'm a workaholic. That's not the point. The point is bringing order back into the body of Christ. And look what happened when they started getting order back. Wow. That's good. It's the only thing God can honor. It's the only thing God can honor. It's His culture the culture of his kingdom. And when we start bringing order and we're, we're, not, we're not understanding why we come to standstills in our churches and our church growth and God's just saying, it's right in front of you. Stop, take time, establish the culture of my kingdom and I will endorse. I will lay my hands on it. Whoo, that'll preach right there. Just like you're laying hands and endorsing elders, I'll lay hands on that body who brings this kind of order back into the body of Christ. Amen. So here we have a picture. Man, where does the time go? I was going to talk about how you elders were supposed to behave in church, but I'll get it next week, okay? <laughs> Benny said, <laughs> But here we have a picture of the governing body 
of the church. And all we've dealt with is elders and deacons. And if y'all want to, we'll deal with apostles, which we don't have to, but we'll deal with apostles. We'll take it as deep as you want to. But these have to be established. We have a picture of the governing body of the church, elders and deacons working together to minister to the body. And as a result, the church explodes. It just explodes. You want to know why? Because I'm going to give you a scripture that a lot of times we use in one context and one context only. The Lord will not put no more on you. Are you following me? We always use that scripture when people are going through something. But can I tell you, the Lord will not give you more than you can handle. And when you have this thing out of order and you got men mixed up that ought to be doing one thing and you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole, you, are you following me? And the pastors or the elders and is too overladen and burdened with responsibility he's not supposed to do, amen, that it brings the church to a certain point and God said, I can't give you no more people. I can't explode your ministries because I love you too much to kill you. Whew, are y'all listening to me? 